part seven, we're going to talk about the purpose of marriage. <laughs> okay, we're in a series called Priorities, and we have our memory verse, Mark 12, 30. Here's the memory verse. Read it good and strong. Ready? Go. Jesus said the most Come on, men. Okay, we're talking about priorities in the first. Oh. <laughs> I forgot the last little line in there. There is no commandment greater than these. Y'all did good. Okay, so we talked about God being number one, and the, the next most important person on planet Earth to you should be your spouse. So today in part seven, we're talking about the purpose of marriage. Um, the reason we're talking about the purpose of marriage is because I feel like when you really understand the purpose of something and how important it is, you automatically prioritize it over other things. And normally I give a lot of application in the word, a lot, but today's going to be more of a teaching. And then in the next few weeks, we'll do some application. So stay with me. It's going to be a lot of teaching today. Um, I believe that Satan has launched an all-out attack on marriage and families in the United States. With every TV show, with every new song, with everything he can possibly think of, he wants couples to live divorced lives, and he wants us to be in fear of marriage. Especially if you've been through a horrible divorce, he wants us to be afraid to get married again. Satan wants children going from home to home and back and forth for mom and dad. This is Satan's plan. Now, there are two subjects in the Bible, no matter how well I try to teach on them, where people leave not happy. Okay? Um, one is money. No matter what a pastor tries to teach about money and what the Bible says, people who don't tithe, the people who love money, they leave upset. That's one subject. The other subject is divorce. Whenever you talk about divorce and what the Bible says, it is very easy to leave here condemned or guilt-stricken if you've been through a divorce. So let me encourage you today. I have been through a divorce, and I'm about to preach to you on what the Bible says about divorce. So do not leave this place condemned at all. I want you to leave inspired, learning something you've never learned before. If I was to preach online, how many of you by a show of hands have ever lied in your life? And see, if you didn't raise your hand, you're Baptist, and you already just lied just by that not raising your hand. Okay, just kidding. So, um, uh, so if I preached on lying, no one would leave here condemned. You'd feel like, you know what, lying's wrong, and I've lied in the past, but God's forgiven me, right? Okay, so when I talk about divorce, you need to feel the same way. Yes, what the Bible says is true, and if I've been through it, you know, Lord forgive me, and I'm going forward in life. Are you with me? Okay, in 1930, 83% of adult Americans were married. Today, 49%. And it's because of the fear of marriage, and, and Satan wants to twist things, and he wants you to just live in sin uh, because you're afraid if you tie the knot, if you get God involved, it's not going to work out, and all these things going. So we cannot allow uh, the world or Satan uh, to convince us that marriage is not the greatest thing on planet Earth. It is literally the greatest and the highest covenant between any two human beings on planet Earth, and I'll prove that to you in a little bit, okay? The, next, the, the highest covenant in the universe is salvation, Right after that is marriage. Okay, the greatest subject in the whole Bible, I'm sorry, the greatest passage in the whole Bible on marriage is in Matthew chapter 19. A lot of people think it's Ephesians 5. It's not, but we're going to get into that. It's actually Matthew 19. Now, I'm going to read some stuff for you today, and I'm going to teach you, and I believe with all of my heart that everybody in here at some point today is going to say, oh, wow, I can't believe that. And if you don't do that, I'm going to be really disappointed, okay? So, um, Matthew 18 is all about getting over offense. Matthew 18 is about forgiving. Matthew 18 is about going to the person to reconcile when there's a problem. 
it is not a coincidence that the very next chapter is about marriage. Okay, I don't think that's a coincidence at all. Now, I'm going to read you what I think is the greatest theological, hermeneutical, uh, exegesis passage on marriage in the entire Bible. It'll blow your mind when you really, it'll blow your mind. There are some people that are about to ask Jesus a question. They're asking God a question. They are asking the Son of God, is there any reason at all that a couple should get a divorce? Is there any reason at all? Any reason at all? That's what they ask. Because, you know, Christians love to debate divorce. Well, he beat me so I can leave him. Or she cheated on me so I can leave him. All these things. Jesus answered the question. Now, you're not going to like the answer, and that's okay. Don't email me. If you do, it's, you know, Pastor John Paul at firstmethodistchurch.com. Email me anytime you want to. Okay, so ready? Matthew 19, 3 through 6. Watch this. The Pharisees came to him, and they asked him, Is it lawful for a man to get a divorce, for a man to divorce his wife for any reason? Any reason. Now, in your Bible, you might see the word just. If you see the word just, it's italicized because it's not in the original translation. The translators put it in there later. So you can remove the word just. That word any is an exclusive Greek word, meaning any reason at all. Can you come up with any reason at all why a couple should get divorced? And Jesus answers them very specifically, and he says this, Have you not read? In other words, you're Pharisees. You should have read the Bible. If you had read the Bible and what happened in the book of Genesis, if you had read God's plan for marriage, if you knew the purpose of marriage, you'd know the answer to the question is what Jesus is saying. Have you not read that at the beginning the Creator made them male and female? For this reason, now, we're going to look at that reason later on in the sermon. Because he says, because of what God did in the beginning, that's why I'm going to answer this question. Because of what God did, here's the answer. Because of what God did, we're going to read what God did and why, okay? For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united or equally yoked. Everybody say equally. equally. I'm going to come back to that and I'm going to test you in a little bit. To his wife and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one ever separate. Um, they're about to ask him another question, and it goes into adultery and things like that, that, you know, we're not going to read all that right now, but a lot of Christians who like to argue, they take the answer to the next question, and they put it as the answer to this question. But I need you to see that Jesus finished the sentence. The sentence is over. He answered the question. And they're going to ask something else, but he, let me ask this, does Jesus ever um, try to not tell you the truth? Does Jesus ever think, you know what, I'm going to lie a little bit, or I'm going to tell them a half truth? Does Jesus ever do that? Does Jesus ever exaggerate to try to prove a point? He said the two become one. Now, you may not see that physically. You may not even understand that spiritually. It doesn't matter. He said it. He doesn't exaggerate. He doesn't tell lies to try. He said the two become one, and when they're one... Nothing should ever separate. The two become one. Nothing should ever separate. There should be nothing. There is no reason in a million years, never, no, no, no divorce. Well, I don't, I don't really like him anymore. And no, there's no reason. Well, he gets on my nerves. There's no reason. Well, she did this. Now, you can separate biblically, the Bible says, you know, for prayer and, and getting healing and things like that. But Jesus said, no, there's no reason for divorce, okay? In verse 7, they ask him another question. Well, then why... Did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce? Jesus said, first of all, he didn't command it, y'all. He permitted divorce because of the hardness of your hearts. But in the beginning, it was not. He, he keeps going back to the beginning. 
Hey guys, don't you know, before the fall of man, before sin entered the world, no divorce. Now, just so you realize, whatever goes on in the Bible before the fall of man is what we can now strive to now that grace has entered into the world, right? We're not under the law, we're under grace. So now we have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So just like um, the, the, the couple in the beginning walked and talked with God and they were one, now we as husband and wife can walk and talk with God because of, of grace. Are you with me? Um, biblically, biblical language in the New Testament, um, Moses represents the law and Jesus represents grace. And to prove that, I put John 1.17 up there just so you could see it. The law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. Okay. In every single divorce, there's at least one hard heart. In every divorce, there's one hard heart. And they come to Jesus and they say, because, you know, Moses represents the law, Jesus represents grace. They said, well, uh, uh, under the law, you, you could get a divorce. And Jesus says, yeah, that's right. Under the law, you can get a divorce. We're not under the law anymore. We're under grace. Now, you would think, and this blows my mind theologically, you would think that Jesus would say, well, under the law, you better not get a divorce. It is wrong. You cannot divorce. But under grace, the forgiveness of sins, yes, you can get a divorce if you need to. You think that's what he said? He didn't. He said, yeah, under the law, you get a divorce. But under grace, you have the Holy Spirit to help you work it out. You have the Holy Spirit to give you power to overcome when you feel defeated. You have the Holy Spirit to be the Christian you're supposed to be, even though they're not keeping their end of the covenant in hopes that one day they'll come to Jesus. Because Jesus cares more about that person's soul than he does your happiness, just so you know. Well, I, I deserve to be happy. You actually deserve hell, just so you know, okay? You don't deserve to be happy. I could prove it to you biblically. I could prove it to you scientifically. You don't deserve to be happy. You know what? You should be happy. You should be happy doing what God's called you to do. And if that means you having integrity, and I know this is such a tough sermon. I know it is a horribly, horribly, horribly tough sermon. I know that, okay? I've been through a divorce. I know that. But Jesus is saying, with grace, you need to work it out. With grace, you're empowered. With grace. Are you with me? Okay. So the whole point of the sermon, it says, is to, for this reason, back in the beginning. So let us go back in the beginning and see why marriage is so important to God, okay? Three points for your notes. Point number one is this. Marriage represents God on earth. Marriage represents God on earth. Okay, watch this. I hope you have a little bit of ahas in here. In Genesis 1.26, then God said, let us, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, make man or mankind in our Father, Son, Holy Spirit image, according to our Father, Son, Holy Spirit likeness. Let them, not him, let them have dominion over the fish, birds, cattle, every creeping thing. So God created mankind in his own image and likeness. Male and female, God created them. Okay, listen. Male is not a picture of God. Male is not a representation of God. Male is not what God looks like on earth. You read it right here, right? It was husband and wife. When God wanted a portrait of himself on planet earth, you know what he did? He brought a husband and wife together with him. And that was the portrait of God. Now, listen, this is why Satan never attacked the man by himself. Satan was not worried when it was just Adam. He did not care. For who knows how long Adam was there? We don't know. Satan didn't do nothing. Satan did not attack until he saw an image of God on earth when husband and wife came together. That, 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 that amazes me. Now, here's the thing. God is a triune being, right? That means three. It's the theological word triune, three. Triune. Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You say, well, wait, how can marriage represent God? Is it marriage two people? That's where you get it wrong. It's not two people. It's a husband, it's a wife, and it's God. 
And that's what that, that's 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 the representation of God on planet Earth. Okay, so all of a sudden they're 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 one. Everything's great. They're in unity. Um, they're walking and talking with God. They're a picture of God on Earth. And before they fall, before sin entered the world, I want you to see this. Genesis 2.23, the man said, this is bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. I'll name her a woman, for she was taken out of man. Verse 24, this is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united or equally yoked to his wife, and they become one flesh. Okay? That's before the fall. Now the fall happens. Genesis 3.6, she also gave some to her husband who was with her. Genesis 3.16, here's the curse from sin. You will desire your husband, but he'll rule over you. The curse means it was not God's plan. The curse means a man will try to bully his wife. The curse means a man will say, I'm in charge of you. That is not part of God's plan. That is 100% total curse. Here's my question to you. What was the name of the first woman? That wasn't her name. I just, told, I just read you in the scripture before what her name was. Her name wasn't Eve. You know what her name was before sin? Adam. Adam, her name was mankind, womankind, it's the same word. They were in such unity, they had the same name. Do you know what happened after the curse, after man wanted to be a bully? Genesis 3.20, Adam named his wife. That's not what God named her. God named her Adam. It even says in Genesis 5 verse 2, he created the male and female and blessed them and he called their name Adam or mankind in the day they were created. After the fall, they break up. After the fall, there's no unity. After the fall, now one's walking this way. One, after the fall, they were in such disharmony, he had to give her a new name. Isn't that sad? See, the representation of God on earth is when a husband and a wife and God are walking hand in hand. That is a perfect representation of the Trinity on planet earth. Satan had no problem when it was just Adam and God. No problem at all. In fact, God did not give dominion to Adam. He gave dominion to the husband and the wife. And Satan got scared to death. I thought I would have dominion over this planet. No, no, not when God shows up. Are, are, you, are you okay, right? Okay, you're not aha and yet, so we'll try number two. Point number two is this. Marriage represents Christ and the church. Marriage represents Christ and the... Do, do you see why Jesus said when they said, is there any reason to divorce? Here's what he's thinking. Would the Trinity divorce? Is it okay if God goes this way, the Holy Spirit goes that way, and Jesus goes the opposite way? Can they divorce? Of course not. Well, then why would you think that a couple that God put together should divorce, right? Okay, so it represents Christ and the church. Ephesians 5.25, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, the bride of Christ, right? So the wife represents the church, the husband represents Christ in the marriage. Verse 31, we see this again. I just prove you the same person wrote the whole Bible. Same person authored the whole Bible. Because every time you see it, look, here we are a thousand years later, and you see this, for this reason. But the exact same thing you see in Genesis, same thing you see when Jesus was talking to Pharisees. A man shall leave his father and mother and be joined or united or equally yoked to his wife. The two shall become one flesh. I speak concerning Christ and the church. Let each one of you so love his wife as himself, and let the wife, what's that word, women? R-E-S-P-E-C-T. Respect her husband. So funny, not a lot of women said anything. One single lady at the back. Respect, I want a husband. Find me one. Okay, so the husband represents Christ, the wife represents church. Men, 
Men, let's say you're at work one day and there's a guy that works with you named Joe and he's unsaved. And, and, and you've been talking, you've been witnessing to Joe every other day or so. Finally, Joe comes to you, he says, you know, I'm thinking about giving my life to Jesus Christ. How will Jesus treat me if I give him my life? Here's what every man should be able to say. Would you see how I treat my wife? That's how Jesus is going to treat you. You see how I honor, do you see how I take care of my wife? That's, that, is that man going to say, um, <laughs> is he going to say, you mean uh, I'm going to be talked down to? I'm going to be ordered around by Jesus? I'm going to be bullied? I'm going to be ignored? Is that, is, that, is that what it's like to be saved? Or is that man going to say, um, you mean I'll be treated like royalty? I'll be honored? I'll be affirmed? <laughs> I'd love to give my life to Jesus. We good? Okay, ladies, there's a lady that works with you uh, named Jane. And Jane has been thinking about coming to church. She watches us online, and she says, you know, I've been watching you online, and I want to come to your church. I really feel like I need to be a part of a church, but I don't know what that's like. I don't know how to pray. I don't know how to, you know, learn from a sermon and read the Bible. I don't know how to worship. I don't know how to do anything that you church people do. Here's what you should be able to say to that lady. Uh, ladies, you should be able to say, um, do you see how I serve my husband? That's the same way we serve in church. Now, is she going to say, um, you mean you complain about the church's weaknesses to all your friends? You mean um, the areas that need service, you're always too tired? You've had a long day, you don't feel like serving? Is, is that what that lady's going to say to you? Or is she going to say, you mean um, y'all just affirm Jesus all, all, all service long and and, and you listen to the wisdom that's being given by elders and speakers and, and you serve in any area you can, yeah, I'd love to be a part of that church. And see, I wish you could understand how important marriage is to God. Would it be okay if Jesus left the church because we made a mistake? Would that be okay if as a church we just didn't do something right and Jesus said, you know what, I'm not going to be a part of the church. Would it be okay if Jesus and the church separated and just left each other and walked away from each other? Of course not. That's why when they said, Jesus, is there any reason at all? He said, don't you know how important marriage is? Now, I think one of the problems we have, at least with the women have, and this is going to be something the men are going to probably write me a lot of hate mail, but that's okay. I'll forward it to Jason Potter. And so um, in Genesis 2, 18, it says, God said, it is not good for man to be alone. Now, first of all, when God said this, man was not alone. God was with him. Yet God did not want to provide something to the man. He wanted to provide it through womankind. In other words, there are some things that a woman, a woman can provide to her husband, a wife or her husband, that not even God himself can do. God decided to put it through a woman to be able to do it, right? <clears throat> the word here, I will make him a helper or suitable helper or companion. I don't like the word helper here because in our English dialect, it just sounds like an assistant or a servant, doesn't it? I, that's just the way we talk in America. That's why I don't like that word. Um, it, it reminds me of, you know, when your kids are being bad and you're like, you want to be daddy's little helper? You know, go get daddy the hammer. You know, you, you treat them like they're little, you know, pat them on the head and walk by. So I don't like the word. So I want to read for you some places in the Bible where that word is talked about. And then I want to tell you what the word means, okay? Here's some places to talk about. In the Bible, the word helper is referred to two times as the Edenic woman. That's before her name was Eve. That was before the fall of man. 
referred to as nations, two times in the Bible, as nations in need of military aid. And every other time in the Bible, this word is referred to as the name of God when he helps Israel. Let me say it this way. Israel is about to be wiped out, but God sent the helper. Uh, Israel is about to suffer horrible things, but God sent a helper. Israel could not pick out a matching outfit on his own, so God sent him a helper to help do it for him, okay? Could not make his own sandwich, so God sent him, okay, okay, so he sent him, so it's the helper. Now, before I show you what, what the actual word is and what it means, um, by a show of hands, how many of you think that biblically, not socially or culturally, but biblically, how many of you think that men and women are equal biblically? How many of you think that men have some type of superiority over women biblically? Now, if you raise your hand on that one, you're going to have to listen to this sermon on divorce because your wife's going to beat you. But anyway, um, both of y'all are wrong in my theological opinion. Let me show you what the word means and I'll tell you why. It is the word azer kenegedo, is that word helper. But if you take off the K-E and the O off of kenegedo, it's neged. Uh, the K-E and the O are a prefix and a suffix in the original language, which means exactly like and exactly opposite. It's a very unusual word. But the gist of the whole thing is this. Hero, rescuer, strong, warrior, drops everything to save one in need. Do any of you husbands feel like you have someone like that in your life? Okay. So are men and women equal? In my theological opinion, we're not. In my theological opinion, from my studying, women are superior. And God did this intentionally. And it's funny, we act like we don't know that. We know women are more spiritual. We know they're more in tune with their emotions. We know they have a healthier soul. We know they can read people better than we can. I mean, what can we do? Pick up everything? Yeah, you know, I got, I got one on her. I'm stronger, you know? So let me, let me explain to you why God did this, and I'll give you an analogy and a story, okay, to help you understand. So women are superior. Um, then why does the Bible say a woman should submit to the husband and the husband submit to God if, if the women are superior? I have a mentor, um, one of my bishops, he lives in Atlanta, has a huge church, and several years ago he invited me to this conference down in, I think it was Alabama or Florida somewhere, and I was just there to shadow him. He's much older, much wiser than I am. Um, when I'm around him, I'm like a little puppy dog. I don't talk because I don't want to say anything stupid. I follow him around, I carry his water, I hold his briefcase, I dust off his jacket, whatever I can do just to be in his presence. Um, we went to this conference, there was thousands and thousands of pastors, and the conference was mainly for these 1,800 missionaries who were all over the world. They come in uh, the States for three months out of the year to raise money so they can take their wife and children, go back in the mission field for nine months out of the year all over the world. And it was a conference for them, and it was like days and days of just hearing two-minute testimonies from each one of the 1,800 you know, missionaries. And the man who started that conference 50 years ago, um, he went to my mentor while we were there, and he said, I'm retiring next year, and I want to offer you uh, the position to take this over. And my mentor was shocked because that's not what he thought God wanted him to do with his life. And so he immediately looks at me, he looks at his wife and the two pastors that were with him. He says, we need to go in a room and we need to pray and we need to hear from God. So we go in a room and um, he says, I don't know how to hear from God right now. I said, my emotions are all over the place. I don't think, he says, I need, I need y'all to help. I need your wisdom. This is what my mentor said. He looked at his wife and said, honey, tell me your wisdom on this. And she gave her wisdom. He looked at this one pastor, he said, tell me, then he looked at the pastor, and then he looked at me, and I said, I, I shouldn't even be here. I, I don't know why you asked me to even be in this room. I have zero wisdom. I know nothing. You are 10 million times more wiser than I am. 
Don't you, I should not even be talking right now. When I'm around him, you know, you don't have to tell me, John Paul, you really need to submit to him. He is your leader. You don't have to tell me that. You don't have to tell, do you, John, you don't have to say, I, I want to serve. I want to submit him. I, I just want to listen to him. I just want to be in his presence. I'm, I'm like a little robot. Just there to, okay. If man were superior and women were here, life would just be like that. Uh, yes, master. Yes, master. How can I serve you, man? If, if it was obvious that men are this far superior, women would it'd be like a robot. We're going to do this, do this. Okay, okay, okay. This is what we're doing. Okay. But no, God didn't do that. God made the woman superior. Here's why. Now the man is going to have to go to God every day if he's going to lead this woman who's superior than he is. And she's going to have to learn how to humble herself knowing that she's superior in so many ways. Now I'm going to give you an analogy to help you really see it, okay? My wife is the greatest dancer. I love watching her dance. We go to a party or we go to a wedding and I just sit there, my, I videotape her. I just love watching her. I think she is so amazing the way she moves into any song she can, I mean, any song she can dance. I have zero rhythm. The only rhythm I have is in my fingers. That's about it. I look like a cracker on drugs on the dance floor. I am, I am all messed up. I can't do nothing. And we go to weddings a lot, you know, because I do weddings. I can't even slow dance. So you know what I did? A few months ago, I took some dance lessons. And I went to the instructor, and I said, listen, all I want to be able to do is just lead my wife on the dance floor. That's it. I just want to be able to slow dance. Just get me there. So I, I walk. People tell me I walk funny. I'm really tall, so I, my leg, I walk with my legs kind of spread apart. So I thought when you dance, I was, I've just been doing this. <laughs> and the instructor said, he said, put your legs together. I said, you mean like this? He said, closer. Like this? He said, closer. Like this, he said, I said, this is really weird. He said, put your feet together. And I did this. And he's like, oh, now you got it. So listen, now when we go to a wedding, even though she's the better dancer, because I went to the instructor for help, she lets me lead her. Now, on the dance floor, it looks like we're in perfect unity, we're perfect equals, but secretly behind the scenes, I'm the one deciding which way we move. And she's okay with it because she knows I was humble enough to go ask for help. Now do you see a picture of marriage? Do you see how perfect that is? The greatest sign of a healthy marriage between husband and wife, the greatest sign of a healthy church between Jesus and his church is unity. When you go to a church that's filled with strife, whoo, walk out of there quick. When you see a marriage filled with strife, the Bible says it's going to come to destruction. A perfect, and listen, before I get to point number three, the world knows nothing of this. The world is so stupid. They say, you need to be your own person, and you need to be your own person. Lies from the devil. Y'all need to come together and be one with Jesus. You don't need to go do your thing and you do your thing. No. You're a man. What God has joined together, nothing should separate. Right? Okay. Point number three, and we're done. Marriage represents covenant. It's actually my favorite point. So, the book of Malachi is the last book in the Old Testament. It ends, it closes with God not speaking for 400 years. Malachi is such a great book because God tells his people, I am not going to accept your offerings or your worship. I am not. 
You can try bringing me money, I'm not accepting it. You can try bringing me your worship, I'm not accepting it. They said, why? And there were three reasons in the book of Malachi. And it's so funny, they all start with the same letter, which would be a great sermon. Uh, the first is their faith is out of order, their priorities are out of order with their faith. Second is their family, and the third is their finances. In fact, if you study the financial part, they're bringing God 9.5%. He said, what do you think you're doing? I said 10%. Don't try, don't try cheating me. And then God tells them, you make sure to give your government what they ask through taxes, but you're not going to honor me. It's just an amazing book of the Bible. Okay, so anyway, so the second reason was family. Here's why God said, I'm not accepting your worship or your offerings anymore. Malachi 2.14, yet you say, for what reason? Isn't it amazing every time we're reading about marriage, we see the whole for what reason part? For what reason? Because the Lord has been witness. The Lord was there. He was part of the covenant. He's a covenant-keeping God. He keeps his end of the covenant even if you don't. He's a covenant-keeping God. Between you and the wife of your youth, whom you've dealt treacherously, yet she is your companion and your wife by covenant. Everybody say covenant. There's a difference between a contract and a covenant. I'll put it on the screen. In a contract, we protect our rights and we limit our responsibilities. I'm going to protect me. I'm going to take care of myself. In a covenant, here's what we do. We give up our rights and we pick up our responsibilities. It's a big, big difference. Now, in case um, you're wondering, how do I know that God is going to keep his end of the covenant? In other words... I've surrendered my life to him. I believe Jesus died on the cross and rose again from my sins. I believe that. But how do I know that on the day I die, I'm going to heaven? How do I know that God didn't pull one on me? How do I know that that one day, you know, last year, when I had the worst day and I did the most horrible sin I could ever think of, how do I know that on the day I die, God doesn't say, hey, remember that day back in 2021? That's why you're going to hell. How do I know God's going to keep his end of the covenant? Here's what the answer should be. Do you see how my wife and I have kept our covenant? We've been through hell and back. Do you see how we stayed together? That's how you can be assured that God will keep his covenant with you. Now, in case you forgot what that covenant was, it is actually the highest covenant on planet Earth. Okay, it goes something like this. For better or for well, man, things have gotten so bad. Yeah, that's in the covenant. You said it, right? You said it. For richer or for? <laughs> in sickness and in health. And if that wasn't stupid enough, then we added. Till death do us part. Boy, we really added that to the end now. Just in case. I'll never do it. Until death do us part. You want to you know what God's end? So, the marriage represents the new covenant, by the way, not the old covenant, okay? The old covenant was you have to be perfect if you want God to be in your life. Now, some of y'all's marriage still looks like that. You better be perfect or I'm giving you the silent treatment. Perfect or we're not going to, perfect or I'm going to hold on to it for 20 years. You better be perfect. That's the old covenant. No, 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 no. Marriage represents the new covenant, right? The new covenant is a relationship. Here's what the new covenant, here's God's part of the new covenant. Hebrews 13, 5, he himself said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. That's a pretty good covenant. Um, there's a true story. This president of a, of a very prestigious university many, many years ago, he was an older man, a very respected leader. Later in life, his wife developed Alzheimer's. It got so bad, uh, month after month, she could not even recognize who her husband was. 
Uh, this man had a lot of money. He had people taking care of his wife around the clock while he ran this university. But one day at a board meeting, he announced that he was going to resign so he could spend all of his time taking care of his wife. The board could not understand it. They said, are you crazy? We need you. You can't leave. One board member stood up and he said, why would you want to do this? She doesn't even know who you are. As he was walking out of the room, he said, I made a commitment to this woman over 50 years ago. She may not know who I am, but I know who she is. Let me, um, I like to sometimes pretend when I read the Bible about things that did not happen in the Bible, but I like to just imagine it. So sometimes I imagine from the day that, that Satan tempted them in the garden, I imagine that, that Adam was on the other side of the garden and his wife was over here by herself with, with Satan and, and she fell. And I imagine God walking to the other side of the garden and saying, Adam, I hate to tell you this, son, but your wife, the one I made for you, she sinned and she's going to have to die. And Adam says, but God, I don't, I don't want her to die. God says, but the wages of sin is death. She'll have to be apart from me forever. I imagine Adam looks at God and says, you know, how about I die for her? We're in a covenant relationship, so if I die, she'll be able to live. I like to think that that's how it would have gone. Now, that's not how it went. But several thousand years later, God went to his other son, he went to Jesus and he says, son, I hate to tell you this, but the bride that I made for you, she sinned. And she's going to have to die. And the son said, but God, I don't want her to die. But the wages of sin is death. She'll have to be apart from me forever. And then the son looked at the father and said, how about I die so that she can live? And all we have to do is believe to get in that covenant. And let me read for you what his death and resurrection did for us. I'm going to read Hebrews 13, 5 again. I want to read it out of the Amplified Bible. And I want you to just picture marriage when I read this. It says, I will never under any circumstances desert you, nor give you up, nor leave you without support. Nor will I in any degree leave you helpless. Nor will I forsake or let you down or relax my hold on you. Assuredly not. And then I love this, last, this next verse. Watch. So we take comfort and confidently say, the Lord is my. There's that word. There's that word. There, there's, the, there's the word, right? Marriage is this. Even if my spouse does not keep her into the covenant. I'll still keep my end because God is a covenant-keeping God. And that's why Satan hates marriage so bad. Amen.